Once again, it is a pleasure to be with you in Studies in the Bible. My name is Brian Behrens. I began a series called the Sermon Series in my last podcast. My desire was to share great sermons that I have heard in the past in hopes of helping us appreciate God's marvelous plan of salvation for humanity and to have a greater appreciation for the work of Christ Jesus our Lord in that plan. Today, I would like to focus our minds on some crucial aspects in the life of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In hopes, we will have a greater appreciation of him who knew no sin, but was made sin on our behalf. The title of this study is The Temptations of Christ. Let's begin by reading our text found in Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Jesus, be filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, he ate nothing and afterward When they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered and saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to you, whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now, when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. I'd like to begin with some preliminary remarks and observations for us to consider. First of all, there are these direct interfaces in the Bible between the human and the divine. For instance, I think of where Jacob, who wrestles with an angel and is able to win and extract a blessing from that angel. I find these incidents recorded in the Bible extraordinarily puzzling, in some instances raising more questions than the answer. I have come to accept that all these questions must not be important, or God would have answered them. The temptations of Jesus is one of these cases where we have a direct interface between the human and the divine, but also the satanic. 
As we study these, we need to be cautious that we do, don't just reduce this to a spiritual experience, as though this is just something that took place in the head of Jesus. It is only in the flesh that one hungers for bread. We are told in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. His hunger was the same type as we experience. It's only in the flesh that there would be any danger with a leap from the temple. And yet, that raises all kinds of questions. Would Jesus be visible to the crowd? Would Satan have been visible? Were people present? How did Jesus and Satan get up there? Did Jesus actually climb into the temple? Or was there some kind of miraculous transport? The Bible doesn't answer any of these questions. Satan took him up to a high mountain to see all the kingdoms of the earth. Certainly that was just a spiritual scene because there is no mountain high enough which would enable you to see all the kingdoms of the earth. Certainly that is true. And if it is true, why did they need to go up on a high mountain at all? So it is puzzling from our human perspective the Bible doesn't answer these types of questions. As we should be cautious of any interpretation or explanation of the temptations of Jesus that depend on a particular answer to these questions. But we can be sure that these temptations were in the flesh. Another observation regarding the mystery relationship to the human and divine in Jesus himself. Satan begins each temptation with a statement, if you are the Son of God. I do not think, as many have understood or thought, that this is questioning of Jesus' deity or getting Jesus to question his own deity. Sort of, are you really the Son of God? Actually, each one of these temptations presupposes the divinity of Jesus. And Satan is well aware of that. So he begins, if you are the Son of God. If the question, if you are the Son of God, presupposes his divinity, the nature of the temptations, hunger, falling from a height, presuppose his humanity as well. I don't think we can fully comprehend the relationship between the divinity of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. If temptations presuppose his humanity and God cannot be tempted, James chapter 1 verse 13 says, yet as we have noted earlier in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. So we can affirm that these are real temptations, not a sort of divine role playing. Maybe the greatest difficulty in trying to understand the relationship between the divinity 
of Jesus and the humanity of Jesus is Jesus died on the cross. God cannot die. And yet Jesus did die. And his temptations are as real as his death. God did take on flesh. With those preliminaries, let's focus on the setting where these temptations take place and what happens in the process of those temptations. Every time Jesus is tempted, Jesus responds, it is written. Jesus responds with scripture. Certainly, that is a guide for us, a pattern for us when confronted with temptations. Where do those it is written's come from? Take a look at your Bible reference in the margins. They came from the Old Testament. Yes, that was the only scripture they had. And Jesus cites three times from the Old Testament. Three passages. Man, in verse 4, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. In verse 8, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. And in verse 12, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. All three passages come from Deuteronomy. There are 39 books in the Old Testament. What are the chances that all three, it is written, would come from the same book? We could see Jesus maybe citing from Psalms or Isaiah, maybe Genesis. Deuteronomy is rather obscure in relationship to those books. What are the odds, especially, that all three passages would come from Deuteronomy? These quotations just don't come from Deuteronomy, but a special part of Deuteronomy. Chapters 5 through 11 of Deuteronomy are a sermon preached by Moses. It is considered the first sermon preached in the Bible, in fact. In one sense, the whole of Deuteronomy is a sermon, all in the first person. But starting in chapter 5, Moses recounts how God had given the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. They received the Ten Commandments. Forty years earlier, that generation was now dead. Moses is addressing their children, a new generation being prepared to inherit the promised land. They are camped in the plains of Moab, just across the Jordan, getting ready to enter. Moses will address them, go up uh, on Mount Nebo, view the promised land and die. Joshua will take over and a few weeks lead them into the promised land. It is in this context that Moses preaches a sermon based on the Ten Commandments. Chapters 5 through 11 is a sermon on obedience, being obedient to God's law. Talks about how God had tested them in the wilderness. You can see this in the first recorded sermon in the Bible. What are some parallels between the children of Israel and Jesus? 
Where was Jesus at the time these temptations took place? He was in the wilderness. How long was Jesus tempted? Forty days. Where were the children of Israel at in their temptations? In the wilderness. How long had they been in the wilderness? Forty years. What had Jesus been doing in the wilderness for 40 days? Being tempted. What is especially noted? He was fasting. What was the problem with that Israel faced while in the wilderness? Hunger. They pleaded with God to feed them, and God provided them with manna. And they complained about it. So in a sense, they were hungry. What happened to Jesus before going into the wilderness? He was baptized. How did the children of Israel get into the wilderness? They passed through the waters of the Red Sea, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 2. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. What is Jesus preparing to do? Enter the work that God had called him for. The children of Israel were getting ready to enter the promised land for the work God had brought them to do. Once you think about it, it is an extraordinary sequence of parallels between Jesus and the children of Israel. Another parallel what position did the children of Israel occupy in the Old Testament? Moses, before Pharaoh, says in Exodus chapter 4 and verse 22, let my son go. Jesus is the real son of God. One more highlight. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 34. God made them subsist on very little, almost a fast to test them and help them realize man does not live by bread alone. I imagine Jesus spent a lot of time thinking about the sermon while in the wilderness. If we truly are children of God, we will have to go through a wilderness of testing how do we prepare much like Jesus? He had absorbed the commandments of God into his heart. The very heart of Moses' sermon, relying on the word of God. What is the nature of these temptations? In the past, I believe that the temptations covered Every type of temptation, such as 1 John chapter 2 points out. I would doubt that Jesus spent the whole 40 days being tempted. It was only at the end of these temptations that these temptations come up. We ourselves are tempted every day in a variety of temptations. Whatever is going on here, these temptations are singled out. Something puzzling about these temptations.
Luke chapter 4, verse 3, turning stones to bread. There is something puzzling about these temptations. This first temptation, Satan goes for hunger. This seems trivial. We all get hungry. No big deal. So what's wrong with turning stones to bread? After all, Jesus multiplied the loaves and fishes. It was not like a sin to perform a miracle to feed people. So what's the big deal turning stones to bread? It was okay for Jesus to perform a miracle to feed other people. Why not himself? Well, this poses a question. Can you think of an occasion where Jesus performed a miracle to protect himself from the consequences of being human? Well, he calmed the storm at the sea. But if you remember, Jesus was asleep. The disciples rushed to him, wake him up. That was for the disciples who were scared and upset. Jesus rebukes the disciples for a lack of faith. Jesus never delivered himself from the consequences of being human. He performed miracles to authenticate the power of God, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22, but not to escape. Suppose early on in his ministry, Jesus gets tired. He performs a miracle. He's not tired anymore. Jesus is hungry. He just performs a little miracle and he's not hungry anymore. Jesus, by virtue of choice, never escaped the common, ordinary consequences of sin. In a way, it was harder for Jesus because he had miraculous power. He had a choice. Satan was trying to get him to use his miraculous power so he could not identify with us as Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are. Jesus asked us to follow him as his disciples. How could we follow him knowing he could perform a miracle anytime he needed it? It's like he has a motorcycle and we have a tricycle and we can't keep up. But he did not perform miracles to escape the rigors of, of humanity. Satan wanted to get Jesus to compromise his whole purpose so he could not identify with us. He, wa- he can sympathize with our weaknesses. The first temptation is crucial. As harmless as it seems, Satan was going for the juggler vein. Second temptation in Luke chapter 4, 6 through 7. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. Obviously, this was would be wrong. Some might say Satan didn't have these kingdoms to give. Later on, Jesus will describe Satan in John chapter 12, verse 31, the ruler of this world. 
Again, this is a puzzling temptation. Why would this be a temptation to Jesus? Jesus is going to get all the kingdoms anyway. They are promised to him. This doesn't seem to make sense. So why would this be a temptation to Jesus at all? Well, Satan isn't stupid. I believe Satan is offering Jesus an opportunity to be an ally. There doesn't need to be a fight. You want to rule, just fall down, no pain, no fight. You can have it all. Again, Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut. But look down the road three years from now. No cross. The first temptation compromises being in human flesh. The second temptation is to offer Jesus a shortcut to the plan, to God's plan of saving humanity. Thirdly, Luke chapter 4, 9 through 12. Satan takes him up on a pinnacle of the temple and says, leap from the temple. Satan quotes a scripture, Psalms 91, is a psalm of trust. How God will deliver those who trust in him. Satan says, jump. And the angels will rescue you. Puzzling things about this temptation. I have been up on the top of some tall buildings, such as the Sears Tower. I always have to walk out to the edge, look down. But I have never wanted to jump. It gave me a queasy feeling in the stomach. So why would this be a temptation to jump? Some had suggested that this would be a chance to show off. I think we are reading into this to come to that conclusion. First, the text says nothing about a crowd being there. Secondly, Jesus did perform a miracle display the divine power of God in Acts 20, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. And thirdly, the text says nothing about showing off. Jesus identifies this sin is to tempt God. If we are to trace back through Deuteronomy 6 and Exodus 17, verse 7, where Israel tempted God, is the Lord among us, they said. What is it to tempt God? Basically, it is to try to get God to show himself. Is God really there? Satan was challenging Jesus' commitment to walk by faith. I just wish God would show himself. If God shows me a sign, we've heard people talk about. An example of so, and so doesn't call by 5 p.m., then... I knew God has given me a sign to put God into a situation where he has to respond. That's what it is to tempt God. To force his hand. 
That's exactly what Satan is trying to do. To get Jesus to test his father, to force his hand. Jesus responds, we don't tempt God. We walk by faith. That's how Jesus faced his temptations, walking by faith. Living by faith. As we talked about in that last great sermon, the faith of Noah, where it is an exposition of the just shall live by faith. But Hebrews chapters 5, 8, and 9 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been, perf been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. We need to ask ourselves, are we obeying the one who can sympathize with our sins? Are we trusting his command? Where we are to be obedient in faith to his command to repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. To come to those waters born again, free of sin. Again, I want to thank you for your kind attention in this discussion on the temptations of Jesus. If you have any questions or comments or would like a free Bible correspondence course, feel free to email me at brianbarons at protonmail.com. And again, I salute those who search the scriptures.